This Knowledge at Wharton podcast was produced in conjunction with the EY's Global Private Equity Center. For more information, please visit ey.com slash private equity. I want to welcome back to Knowledge at Wharton, Michael Rogers, EY's Global Deputy Private Equity Leader, and Steve Samet, who's a senior fellow and lecturer here at Wharton. Thanks both for joining us again and bringing your expertise on private equity to Knowledge at Wharton. Uh, today, we're going to try to take a sweeping look at private equity worldwide by region. We want to look at recent performance and also the outlook ahead. Well, let's turn to Latin America now. And Mike, I know you follow that very closely uh, among other regions, but um, looking at some of your reports in Latin America, not counting Mexico here, PE activity fell 30% uh, to the lowest point since 2009. The reasons were China's economy again, the dropping commodity purchases, rising U.S. interest rates a bit. And uh, then, of course, the big one probably, uh, the political problems that are affecting uh, Brazil is you know, obviously huge with what's happened there. Argentina is having issues, Venezuela. Those are the, the three uh, most notable ones having political problems. So uh, maybe you could give us an overview of Latin America. Yeah, and, and guys, I think this is really sort of the tale of, of, of many different markets. Uh, I think uh, there was the assumption that Latin America, America sort of traded you know, in line with each other, all the different countries. And we're certainly seeing uh, this uh, dispersion, if you will, of performance. And what we're, what we're really noticing was that the biggest uh, entity in the market, Brazil, of course, uh, had led the markets for a long time. And, you know, the amount and number of transactions that were done in Brazil sort of dwarfed what was done in the other markets. I think the, you know, we've seen the rise of the Pacific Alliance, which, you know, has uh, the, the countries that are engaged in that process has uh, helped them with reforms, uh, both from a government perspective and economically, and that's actually been to the benefit of, of countries uh, like Mexico, uh, Peru, Chile, and uh, Colombia. We've seen better performance out of those, those, those countries. But to hit the biggest one first, I mean, Brazil is just is experiencing, you know, honestly, a crisis of confidence. I mean, they uh, you know, the political corruption process that they've been going through uh, has really, you know, moved into the business uh, economy, obviously. Uh, they've been in recession for, for some period now. Uh, and I think that uh, a lot of people are, you know, very concerned operationally uh, there in terms of what's going to happen in Brazil. And it's interesting, you touched on the, you know, the currency issue uh, of, um, you know, and should that drive activity in a market uh, if there is, uh, any uh, truth to that, you know, obviously uh, Brazil would be one uh, a case in point that, you know, would be a great opportunity uh, with the real down as much as, you know, 40, 50 percent against the dollar. If you're a U.S. dollar investor, uh, it would seem like an appropriate time. But I'd like to echo one of Steve's comments, which I thought was uh, very astute, is that even with, a, you know, the discount you may apply to some of these companies, there are still very savvy investors who say, but uh, you know what, we could still go further down from here. And so there is not a lot of confidence that, you know, the, that they're picking the bottom here, or, you know, uh, of the investment cycle uh, relative to the currencies. And so, therefore, we've actually, uh, you know, seen people continue to shy away in many cases, although PE oftentimes is contrarian, and when they go in, they tend to, you know, find the right spots and, you know, to, to find opportunity. And you would think that that's the situation right now in Brazil. But valuations have not quite come down. 
uh, as far as people would like, and so it's going to hold up, you know, deal flow for a while. But we think that that's obviously longer term, you know, a great market for PE because of the size of transactions there. Uh, as you move around to some of the other countries, uh, maybe their economic situation is a little stronger in Colombia and in, in Peru, Chile, for example. However, there, there are not very many large-scale companies that are available for, for purchase. A lot of family-run, smaller entities that probably need to go through a cycle of maybe one smaller uh, entity, one smaller private equity, uh, a first-stage buyer, if you will, before it gets into a mode of uh, you know, being professionalized enough and large-scale enough to be attractive to, uh, to larger PEs. Um, you know, the one uh, economy that has uh, done a nice job in a tough environment is actually Mexico. And so when we travel the world, oftentimes uh, people ask us about two or three locations uh, that, they, that they like from a PE perspective. Uh, one is India, which seems to be at the top of the heap in some ways right now. Uh, another is Mexico, and, and maybe a third is Colombia. So there's still a lot of interest in that Pacific Alliance area, and I think that Mexico has done a better job of actually diversifying their economy away from energy and, and looks like an attractive long-term play. All right. Thank you. Uh, let's let's turn to India now, Steve. I know that uh, you spend time there and uh, are closer to that market than, than some others. And so maybe you can give us your overview of how you think things are shaping up. Oh, thank you. The uh, I- India is always a fascinating story uh, because it is so many countries and cultures rolled into this one thing we call India. Uh, there, there remains within there remains within India significant uh, state by state and regional differences, but the overall trend is is positive, uh, and it runs the gamut of uh, venture capital and private equity uh, because there is a substantial amount of technology activity in information technology, in uh, increasingly biotechnology. Uh, uh, the Modi government has, in each sector, uh, uh, put through a, a number of very important reforms that uh, I think are going to increase confidence uh, pretty substantially, uh, especially in the sector in which I, I stay very close to, uh, being uh, healthcare and, and biotech. Uh, the um, the flow of capital, I think, will remain robust, but. Uh, but sober in the sense that I, I don't see uh, huge spikes in the amount of capital going in. Uh, uh, but I, I think it will be uh, steady, at least for the time being. Valuations have become a little bit more rational and reasonable than they have been. Uh, uh, the Indian entrepreneurs and sponsors may may reverse that uh, on, on the turn of a rupee, but... Uh, uh, you know that is that is positive, but across all sectors, uh, everything from consumer uh, to um, uh, education to healthcare, uh, we're going to see uh, uh, a lot of very fertile ground for investment activity. The one area that remains almost open, uh, but perhaps the most complex, is infrastructure. And if there's if there was an opportunity anywhere for significant infrastructure investment, uh, it would certainly be India. Uh, but again, because of governmental complexities and uh, uh, the fairly decentralized way in which the states operate vis-a-vis the, 
national governments, um, uh, that 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 particular sector will remain challenged. Uh, but overall, uh, in India, uh, I, I think is um, uh, while we've seen this movie before, in a matter of speaking, uh, I uh, I suspect it's uh, going to be very robust. And as far as risks, I mean, it sounds like uh, state government regulation is a risk, or at least a barrier. What what are the risks? Uh, things are going well for India right now. Um, we mentioned earlier the lower oil prices have helped since it's a big net importer. Uh, but what what risks remain going forward that that you see as notable? Uh, well, there, there's one in particular, and I keep uh, I, I apologize for coming back to it, but um, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, which, if it if it uh, is implemented and uh, the current countries and negotiations accede to it, uh, that could have a negative effect on India because it is not part of the TPP, uh, and that might divert more economic activity uh, to other countries in the region, uh, possibly at the expense of India, and India may have to to realign. Um, as we speak, it will be very interesting to learn about what uh, 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 Mr. Modi and Mr. Obama have to say in their upcoming uh, summit, uh, and I suspect TPP is probably uh, on the agenda. Uh, but that, that is one of the things I see as a, as, uh, a risk, and it's not just a macro risk that could cut across all industries. Uh, I don't know if EY has a view on this, um, uh, that that is uh, that is my analysis. I would say on the India, you know, we do see you know, thriving consu- consumption over there, low inflation. I mean, Steve touched on the fact that lower oil prices it actually helps. Uh, this is one emerging market that actually gets the benefit of that. I think another interesting you know concept that they have. Obviously, uh, we've seen a little bit of uh, public press around their Make in India program, uh, as well as Start Up India and Stand Up India. Uh, which are, you know, governmental programs that are trying to drive business activity, uh, which we see as, you know, positive for the most part. Uh, and I think that that's actually, uh, you know, helping, you know, lead a lot of these companies uh, forward and, and, you know, actually improving their economy. Uh, and we see a little bit of a current trend in P investments and the consumption, you know, led uh, in, in technology as well, driven sectors by e-commerce, financial services, uh, Steve touched on the healthcare, which seems to be resounding uh, around the world. Uh, and, and the PE firms that we're talking to are looking for majority deals. I think the sort of the risks that, that maybe Steve touched on a little bit, too, that the improvements that have been made by the government still within there lie some risks. I think some of the tax risks that have been discussed, uh, you know, those, those issues seem to get, you know, tweaked and improved, and at the same time they can become a bottleneck, bottleneck for for transactions, and I think the Indian government has shown that they have, an, you know, a willingness to change policies, uh, you know, very quickly. And you know, sometimes that can throw PE off when they're making assumptions and they're trying to figure out uh, how to invest. I, I also think that the competition for PE deals is going to continue to get heightened. Uh, again, like some of the other markets we've talked about, there are not that many large companies because many of the entities in India uh, have grown up as family businesses. And so that's not typically the model that, you know, is, is supportive of PE, which likes a little bit bigger entities. 
you know, to invest in, but that, that it's evolving, and we see, you know, we see bigger companies uh, being put together and growing, and that should, uh, should bode well. But as I mentioned, we, we do get a lot, of, a lot of questions around the world that, you know, for, from, a, from an economic, governmental, uh, and, and uh, you know, a, a lack of exposure to the energy industry, uh, India does pop up on the top of the charts for a lot of our uh, PE clients around the world. Uh, this is a, um, I think, a resounding example of, of what's going on in India, and it's something uh, I've, I've been directly involved in. Um, I'm calling in today from San Francisco, where I'm attending the Biotechnology uh, Innovation Conference uh, this week. And uh, two years ago, uh, we released a report that I co-authored on what the obstacles were in India uh, for the growth of its pharmaceutical and biotechnology industry, uh, which was a report essentially prepared for the government but sponsored by uh, Bio and its counterpart organization, Trade Association in India. Uh, every single recommendation that my co-author and I made about what India needed to do uh, has been implemented. And in fact, uh, two hours from now, I'm moderating a panel uh, at Bio that is going to review the reforms that have taken place in just two years, uh, almost two years to the day. Uh, so we are seeing a um, government that is trying to be very responsive and uh, remove what obstacles it can. And uh, I, I personally find that very encouraging. Well, maybe that's some of the reason for the optimism about India. All right, let's move on to Africa. Uh, Steve, I'm going to tap you here again because I know you spend quite a bit of time there. Uh, so maybe just start with you for now. And, of course, the story for PE uh, during 2015 in Africa was very positive. Exit, exits hit a nine-year high despite the fact that firms were holding on to their investments longer on average. EY research also shows that private equity in Africa continues to outperform public markets. So, and I see from the report that financial services, once again, was the most common sector for exits. So, Steve, I don't know if you want to take this one or, or, or Mike, since it's an EY report, but I, uh, either one can jump in. Uh, uh, why? Please explain why financial services. I know they've been ahead with mobile financial services uh, of many other emerging markets and even developed markets. Uh, but uh, uh, either one, please jump in and just... Uh, Give us some insight into why financial services are so hot. I have some thoughts, but I'm happy to defer to Mike, especially in view of the EY analysis. Well, let me lay out you know, a little bit of the facts, and, and Steve, please feel to, to pile on top of that. I mean, obviously, financial services you know, remains in a very important sector for PE firms in Africa. In fact, in the study that, Steve, you, you referenced, uh, they uh, represented 20% of the companies exited by PE firms between 07 and 13, uh, 24% over the last two years. So the investments have definitely increased. And, uh, you know, our conversation with funds in, re in the region, we believe they'll continue to remain a significant sector for PE. And Africa is, as a whole, is massively underbanked. Uh, and, you know, but it's changing slowly. I mean, in 2011, there's about 24% of the population uh, in, in sub-Saharan Africa had a bank account. And by 2014, that was up to 34%. So growth rates are extremely high, and they represent a very attractive opportunity for PE firms to invest. 
But I think that uh, there's also this concept of leapfrogging we've discussed before where, you know, a lot of activity will move, you know, from uh, people being unbanked, you know, into uh, smartphones and applications and folks using, you know, banking in a different fashion than their traditional sense of brick-and-mortar banks being established in those countries. So a little bit different model, but I think that's why it's so important. And I know Steve knows a lot about uh, how that trend is playing out there as well. Thank you. Um, I think there's there's a very critical observation to make about Africa and how the private equity sector differs from in Africa from the rest of the world. And that is most of the private equity players in Africa uh, have a, a clue, include among their limited partners development financial institutions like the uh, IFC and uh, from uh, the Northern Europe, uh, social democracies, uh, substantial funds. So, so the, the private equity funds that are participating in Africa, uh, many of them have a development and social impact agenda. They're there to make money, make no mistake about it. Uh, but the individuals involved have a somewhat different orientation. And this actually is one of the things that uh, has contributed to the attention to two of the important background, backbones to economic development, those being financial services as well as uh, telecommunications. Because I, I, think, I think over the last 10 years, uh, private equity investors have recognized that unless they address those first and bank the population and allow the population to enter the digital age, uh, that uh, the whole private equity enterprise is going to be uh, a disappointing one. And it's exactly playing out that way. So the private equity funds, in a, in a manner of speaking, have been supplements to uh, the activity of the, the DFIs, which quite wisely are using the private equity funds as ways of inducing private capital flows into the region. So it's, it's an interesting story. And now we're starting to see more diversified interest uh, across the board, not only in healthcare, not only in education, but consumer goods, retail, uh, 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 any, any, you know, all all the ingredients of a diversified economy are playing out. So while there may be perturbations from year to year, uh, the overall trend for Sub-Saharan Africa is 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 very positive, and more and more the entrepreneurs and sponsors on the ground in the African countries are getting comf more comfortable in working with uh, private equity funds. What we haven't seen yet is money for the earlier end of the development process, particularly venture capital, uh, which is important because there are a few pockets of high-tech uh, in, uh, in Lagos, in Nairobi, uh, particularly in South Africa, that actually can add yet another component to economic growth in the region, uh, uh, but uh, there's still a scarcity of capital there, but it, it eventually will follow. Well, I want to thank you both for taking us around the world today, and uh, I think it's a pretty comprehensive view, and uh, I think we've all learned a lot, so thank you, and it's, I think it's also the kind of information that's not easy to find um, in other places, so we very much appreciate it, and we will be getting this out to our listeners and readers very soon. Thank you.
Listeners can access past podcasts plus additional insights into private equity at our private equity website. And the address is kw.wharton.upenn.edu slash private hyphen equity. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.